The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Now, with that said, we're going to turn to our passage that we're looking at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back, uh, page 902. We are in 1 Corinthians, if you're not familiar with the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians is, uh, go to the back cover of your book, of the book, go in about, I don't know, 100 pages or so. Uh, it'll say 1 Corinthians, and then the big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the small numbers are the verse numbers. We are in this book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. Uh, the whole series of 1 Corinthians is about as good news for bad Christians. Um, that's because God knows that uh, if you are a Christian or you're thinking about following Jesus, uh, we don't do a very good job of living up to what we say we believe <laughs> on a regular basis. And 1 Corinthians is a great way of kind of tagging into uh, what is uh, the power of the gospel for changing our lives and following Jesus if we just continually mess up, right? And what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 12 is this whole chapter about a culture within this church of Corinth uh, almost 2,000 years ago that was absolutely toxic, and they were turning inward, and they were totally jacked up. And Paul, in this letter, and specifically in this chapter, is addressing how they were using all these things called spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, we've been talking about, we're going to talk about this morning, um, all these kind of, they were turning them into these spiritual magic tricks to kind of one-up each other um, and show how they were better than other people in the church. As we work through this chapter, as we're calling it the body of Christ, uh, this is a chapter about how the body of Christ, Christ himself, changes us to be a people that are others-focused, and then moving on mission with who Jesus is. So last week we looked at honoring the body of Christ. This week we are looking at joining the movement of the body of Christ. And the next week we're going to be talking about building friendships in the body of Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the last few verses of chapter 12, verses 27 to 20, 31. And we are going to pray and then we will get into this together. I will note one thing just to put this on your radar. We've been starting to do this uh, Q&A after the service, or I'm sorry, after the sermon. As we're working through this passage, if you feel like there's a question that I've got that I don't feel like Jacob answered, or there's questions from the, this text, from this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, that I just, I'm really struggling with, uh, you can text those to Jay. That's his number. Jay's number is 603, right? We're going to put it on the recording. Um, but... Uh, you can text Jay, or you can just answer, uh, ask them after the sermon. Um, love to engage with those because we want to be growing in these things together. So let me read our passage for us, and then we'll start working through this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Father, as we work through this passage and look at this short paragraph, I pray that you would fill us by your spirit, gift us by your spirit to help us to join the movement of Christ, the power of the gospel to change our lives here, to shine a light for who Jesus is in Manchester and the surrounding areas, and that you would get all the glory for how you have gifted us. And so this morning, Father, I pray that we would be surprised by your gifting we would be encouraged and empowered. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. Last week, we were talking about how um, this whole culture in Corinth was very me-centered in terms of how they did their life together as a church. It was very self-centered. Culture was very toxic. It was very inward. And if you know, if you're familiar with any sort of organization or you've been you know, employed or you have a workspace or you think about politics or your school or whatever, you know that culture kind of determines where an organization goes, right? If it's got a toxic culture, 
and they're, you know, they only uh, employ at the top uh, family members, and despite other people being better qualified for job positions, they're only, they're only employing and putting in senior management the family members. There's a, a bit of a, an inbred toxic culture there that's going to determine the direction of, the, of the, the company. So you might not be family members, and so then you're like, well, I'll never be, I'll never be able to get to this position within the, my workspace. Or in politics, you think about the, the, the inviting and just the constant battle that seems to be going on in politics, it gives us the concern of where the direction of our culture is going. It's the same, it's the same with the culture of the church. Imagine a church where everybody is always trying to spiritually one-up each other with, oh, you've got this gift of tongues. Well, I've got two gifts of tongues, and I pray them all the time, and I do them whenever I want. Or you think you've got a prophetic word. Well, bro, I'm at the Apostle Paul, and I've got this prophetic word for you. And you're always one-upping each other. What kind of in, uh, inward toxic culture that develops within a church? It almost begins to kind of make a stagnant church. It's not going anywhere. And in this last paragraph of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul has been addressing the culture, showing them how in Christ, the very nature of spiritual gifts, right? The default programming of spiritual gifts, whatever they are, is others-focused. It is to serve and build other people up in Jesus and following him and knowing him and loving him. And now we get to the end of this chapter. He revisits these spiritual gifts, and he kind of lists out a few of them to give us this perspective that the purpose of the spiritual gifts is so that we join the movement of Jesus Christ and the advance of the gospel. So the Corinthian culture had gone toxic and inward. Paul is correcting them and showing them direction that spiritual gifts equip us to join the movement of the gospel. So that's, if we can put that up, the main point of this whole paragraph of what we're looking at this morning, spiritual gifts equip us to join the movement of the gospel. So if you're wanting spiritual gifts or you're like, am I gifted spiritually? (laughs) Do I have spiritual gifts? We're going to answer that question. But the purpose of this whole paragraph is to help us understand that spiritual gifts equip us not so that we kind of like have spiritual magic tricks (laughs) that we can kind of drop all over the place. Spiritual gifts equip us to join the movement of the gospel. So if spiritual gifts equip us, we're going to be looking at three ways in which spiritual gifts gifts equip us from this paragraph. So the first thing we're going to do, spiritual gifts, point one, equip us to be pioneers in gospel movement. The purpose, the goal, one of the the first things that Paul goes to, and what's what's the purpose and goal, the direction of spiritual gifts? Well, they equip us to be pioneers in gospel movement. So Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to, we're going to put on um, our Bible hats, jump right in the deep end of this passage, and I'm going to ask you guys just, all right, work with me here, and we're going to work through this passage. Because the first thing we have to run into here is in verse 28, you will see where Paul drops this bombshell, and God has appointed in the church first apostles. And everybody reads that, and you're kind of like, apostles, like those are like really important people. <laughs> what do we do with that? Well, we're going to talk about that. Uh, What we want to talk about is how in this very kind of spiritual gift of apostleship, there is something about the DNA of spiritual gifts that Paul is drawing our attention to. Now, what we're going to do is I'm going to present two perspectives on what what we could call the spiritual gift of apostleship is, uh, because there is one perspective that's kind of like the traditional perspective, understandable, highly esteemed, long track record in the life of the church. I disagree with it. And so I, wanted, I want you to understand that so that you know, like, if Jacob's dead wrong, at least you got these guys to go with, right? And then I want to present my perspective on, like, I think, and it's not just mine, like, other people share it, so it's not just me kind of pulling something out of my hat. Another perspective on how I view this. And then we'll, we'll see how, ultimately, I don't think they actually conflict with each other. They kind of tie off together. So first perspective on what, what is when Paul talks about apostles within this passage, what are you talking about? You might call this the hierarchy of authority perspective. So can we throw this up? All right, this is the hierarchy view. Um, This is, in in many ways, kind of like the foundation. It's a construction of the church, right? He's talking about 
the church universally, like how does God build the witness of Jesus Christ among the nations? And when he talks about that, when he lists apostles, he is talking about the main 12 apostles, right? So you get to the end of the gospel accounts, you've got the 12 minus Judas, and then you've got Matthias who gets picked up in Acts chapter 1, who gets thrown in there, and then uh, the apostle Paul who's, quote, one untimely born. So kind of like all those guys, right? Big capital A apostles, they're big important big important guys, they've established the witness of the, of the gospel, and the marks of the apostles are, right, uh, they would have seen the, res, uh, the ministry and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody here witness the ministry, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ? Maybe in your heart you have, <laughs> but not with your eyes. Those guys did, right? They embodied the sufferings, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the advance of the gospel. Uh, I'm sure that we all do that, but they were doing it in a certain context and time in church history. So uh, just to kind of give you a sense, one of our elders, Pastor Paul from King of Grace, he would agree with these, this perspective. He's like, when he talks about apostles in this passage, it is talking about capital A, big-time apostles, and he would say this, and in, in we were interacting on this, when it's speaking of the church being built, on the apostles, it's referring directly to apostles of Christ who are marked by signs, of, signs and wonders, so 2 Corinthians 12, 12, a firsthand witness to the risen Christ, 1 Corinthians 9, 1, pronounced fruitfulness, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 2, 15 and 7 and 8, and pronounced suffering, right? He's, when he says this, he's talking about these are the capital A apostles. These are the guys like... So in Ephesians 4.11, it talks about this as well, being built on the apostles. Uh, so this perspective has been taught all through church history, kind of a main perspective. Uh, John Calvin held this perspective. Um, the uh, Christostom from the old, old, uh, old days in the church, um, a lot of people hold this perspective. So Calvin would say that the apostles plus Paul are the uh, foundation of the witness of Christ, Prophets, in this verse, apply scripture. Teachers maintain sound doctrine in church life, right? So, which means the payoff of this is that apostles are temporary, right? The apostles in this, this verse are not forever. The, the punchline of this in terms of addressing the Corinthian pride is that when they're kind of like all getting up on their high horse, like, look, I speak in tongues and I've shaken hands with so-and-so and I've had these spiritual experiences and I'm so important in the life of the church, the Apostle Paul just kind of comes in with a little, with a little pin and just kind of like, but you're not an apostle. Boop. And it's like, bro, I've always got a one-up card on you. You know, like Neil Armstrong, I've always, you know, he'd been to the moon. Like his party trick is like, whatever you'd been to, like he'd step foot on the moon. <laughs> like the Apostle Paul is like, Bro, like, I, I founded the church. Like, I, Jesus had coffee with me and said, go and do this. Undermines our Corinthian pride. So that's the hierarchy view. Now let's circle back on the passage. I'm going to present uh, what you might call the hierarchy of value or the hierarchy of chronology, and this is kind of where I land on this passage. Um, when I read this, the issue that you have to address is he talks about first I'm sorry, that blue did not turn out so well on that, did it? Is it? Sorry, my colorblind friends are now struggling, aren't they? <laughs> okay, I will learn black and white from now on. <laughs> uh, my apologies on that. I promise it's all right up there. Whatever it says is my view, and it's right. Um, so here's the issue of how to address this passage, right? Because all through this passage, Paul's been talking about spiritual gifts there's nobody who's more important because they've got spiritual gifts, right? If you've got the weaker gifts or you've got like more upfront gifts, they're all of value in the body of Christ. And then you get to this passage and you have to deal with there's first, second, and third. Like it's in the passage, right? First Corinthians 7 or 12, 28, and God is appointed in the, appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, right? There's a ranking that's put there. So that's why for the traditional view, Apostles are put first, they're the foundation, prophets, and teachers. When I read this, I come to this and I say, okay, Paul has been talking to a local church with all their local issues. And so when you have verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually, individually members of it. He could effectively be up here, King's Cross, Jacob, J. Michelle, Joy, everybody, you are all individually members of the local church. 
And then you get to verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles. Now, the traditional view is saying, okay, talking about a local church, but then verse 28, he now ejects and talks about the global church, and then he comes back down to the local church. That just seems a little bit like forcing the text a little bit. Because it would seem to me that it's just kind of natural to say, God has appointed in the local church first apostles, prophets, and teachers. And so you have to ask the question, what do apostles within the local church context mean? I think when Paul is addressing this, he is talking about a chronology of how a church is started. That's why this kind of laid out like this. You have people who come in, pioneers for gospel ministry. God is doing something here in this context, this area, this neighborhood, this town, this foreign country, my block. There's something new that God's doing here, and I've got faith to lean into that. People who lean into the mission of the church. Then you have people who come alongside and they say, you guys are doing a great job. Here's what I see God doing among you. Gifts of prophecy to strengthen people along the way and obeying and following God's command to join join his mission. And then you have teachers, right? Because naturally what happens when you start joining God's mission, people are coming to Jesus and they're kind of like, I don't know how to put my life together in Jesus now. You got people who say, okay, Jesus said, go and teach them all things of how, what it means to be my disciple. You got teachers, and then out of that, boom, what starts happening? This exponential reality of miracles happening in people's lives, gifts of healing, helping, administrating. I love the gift of administration. In tongues, right? Just these a whole array of spiritual gifts come out of pioneering mission work. I think that makes more sense of the text in the sense of... I. Obviously, I'm not saying that uh, apostles uh, continue to exist and can write whatever they want and add it to your Bible, <laughs> right? That's not what we're saying. In this perspective, it's basically just pioneering mission work. It's not an extra office. It's not exclusive to just men, by the way. Men and women can have uh, vision and faith for God doing pioneering mission work wherever they are and join God's mission to see what, that, what he's going to do. I think it makes a little bit more, more sense of the passage. Additionally, I'll throw this out there. Uh, in the New Testament, there are regularly people who are mentioned within the narrative that are not the capital A Big 12 apostles, right? So can we throw that out there? Those guys, you got 70 in the book of Luke chapter 10. Book of Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 or 72, kind of depends on how you read it, disciples, and they, just, they, they are sent. Apostles mean to be sent. And they're sent with Jesus' message to go join God's mission wherever they end up going, right? You've got Apollos. Uh, you've got Epaphroditus. That, anybody's looking for baby names? It's a good one. You've got James, uh, Jesus' brother. You've got Barnabas, Titus. And then with Titus, there's also somebody who's not named. It's also called an apostle, right? So I know you're kind of like, man, it's like a big Bible study. Like, I'm just saying... In terms of kind of saying the chronology of this, I think this fits, for example, the book of Acts. People who've just got faith for like stepping out and risking it and saying, okay, God, what are you going to do? Let's go see what God's going to do. God's strengthening it, something happening, disciples being planted, and then you got witness for Jesus, got to be discipled, miraculous things happening within their life as a church. So let me provide a definition for the gift of apostleship, and then we'll kind of tie these two views together, all right? Here's a definition for the gift of apostleship. A church affirmed, right? That's important, right? You can't just say, I've got the gift of apostleship, obey me. (laughs) That's not the way this works. Um, Actually, you'll find in 2 Corinthians 8, the apostle Paul himself submitting to the local church, right? He submits to local church elders. A church affirmed, spirit-given gift to pioneer new missionary work into an area for the advance of the gospel's power among new people. I think you see that in the book of Acts. I think you see that in the way the church of Corinth was planted and strengthened and the issues that they faced. I think you see that in every local church that's ever been planted in the history of humanity. (laughs) You see people who have a church-affirmed, spirit-given gift to pioneer new missionary work in an area for the advance of the gospel's power among new people. So, now, how do these two perspectives, the traditional and the chronology of you, go together? Let's just remind ourselves, the apostles were given, in Matthew 28, we just show this up here, the Matthew 28, they were given this command. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, when the traditional view reads this, and I would agree with this, they say that's what was given to the apostles and the local and the the first century church as their mission for making the name of Jesus great among the nations. Now they would say, the traditional view would say, okay, that um, the apostles have a unique place in this verse, verse twenty-eight, and kind of undermining Corinthian pride because they were they they got the message directly from Jesus. They didn't get a text message from him. They saw him say it. Right? They didn't watch a YouTube video. They saw him say it. Uh, the nature of the church always is a sent church to make disciples. And so ultimately, whether you see this verse as saying apostles, capital A, guys who founded the church, or gifts of apostleship where people are sent on pioneering mission work, everybody's got this as their DNA for what it means to be a believer. The nature of being a Christian is to be somebody who's sent to go and make disciples wherever you are. So the, the, the two perspectives kind of merge ultimately. It's not because I'm not saying there's an office of apostleship within the local church. I'm really not saying any revolution, anything revolutionary. We're just saying the very DNA, the very nature of what it means to be given the Holy Spirit, to be gifted by the Spirit, to be a part of this church or wherever you're a member of a church. If you are a Christian, to be Spirit-filled is to have that in your spiritual DNA. I am a sent person wherever I am, on mission with Jesus. So apostolic ministry is always missionary focused. So coming back to 1 Corinthians 12, what's one thing we can draw out of this? So we're saying this is kind of all under this banner of spiritual gifts equip us to be pioneers in gospel movement. All churches are birthed to be pregnant with another church. A healthy church is always moving and dreaming of how to see the gospel advance within their areas. That doesn't mean that you have to be thinking about... So when I say pioneer, I think we always kind of think of like someplace like Papua New Guinea, or like foreign someplace way out there, right? Pioneering could be, if you're on the west side, another neighborhood within the west side. If you're on the east side of Manchester... Maybe it's, you know, within the next neighborhood over or the north end. Or if you're in Exeter, maybe it's a church plan in Exeter. You know, it, it is pioneering, okay, this is going to be risky. We're going to have to embrace some risk. But because Jesus is good and great and he's with us to the end of the age, let's just, let's do it. That sort of spirit, not everybody's got that, Right? Not everybody's just kind of like, I know, I'm just going to leave everything that's comfortable about my local church, <laughs> and I'm just going to go do it again someplace else. And we'll take five, ten years to do it again. Like, not everybody has that spiritual gift. That's fine. But it's the very nature of every local church is birthed because of that. Somebody had that vision of planting a church, or some people had that vision. And then other people come alongside and say, we want to do that again. right? So Paul is addressing their spiritual arrogance of saying, I've got all these spiritual gifts. Look how great I am. And Paul is then kind of correcting them and saying, no, 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 no. The very nature of what it means to be filled by the Spirit is to go do it again with somebody else, to, to show the Spirit, to show the goodness of Jesus, to share the revelation of who he is with a new area, a new town. So King of Grace Church down in Haverhill, they had this vision for us. So the O'Grady's and uh, King of Grace, and then we came along. We planted this church, what, five, six years ago now? And the church is now birthed to this from, I mean, legitimately, this is insane compared to, you know, we started with like 10 people in my living room. You would have thought we were a cult, <laughs> right? But we had this vision and faith, and it was a group of people. It wasn't just me to, okay, God, do something new in Manchester. Not because what other churches are doing is horrible. There's 110,000 people in our city limits, 250,000 people in our area. I don't think that we're quite in reaching all of them yet. Can we do that too with you, God? And God has birthed this. And now as a church, we share this vision of we want to see a thousand people in a King's Cross church. That's our vision, our vision statement, if you're wondering. Our vision statement is we want to see a thousand people in a King's Cross church by planting 10 churches of 100 people. That's what we want to do. So we want to do this. Right, we're getting close. Lord willing, next two, three years, 
We're going to be maxing out this space. We're going to be having to kick some of you guys out of here so we can go plant another church someplace else. Because we believe in pioneering church planting work as a, na- as a very nature of being spiritually gifted, right? So this, this weekend right now, we've got folks up at River of Grace and Concord. Um, Eric and Andrew, they are moving here this summer from Minneapolis to take over River of Grace's small group in Henniker. Uh, Henniker, as far as I'm aware, has no gospel witness. And they are moving here this summer to have a five-year track record, a five-year plan to planting a church up in Henniker. Right? We've had them up here. We pray for them. Uh, Elliot's preaching at River of Grace this morning. I'm having lunch with them on Tuesday because God may be gifting them with this gift of apostleship and their wives and their kids. Right? Let's not forget the kids who have to sacrifice for these things so that we can see more churches planted in New Hampshire. So when it comes to who's got the better gifts, right, often the better gifts come with greater sacrifice, not better platforms. So when Paul is beginning to undermine their culture and give them some healthy direction forward, he's reminding them the focus and direction forward of the church is always self-sacrificing love for the good of other people. That's the very nature of spiritual gifts. And so when he talks about the spiritual gift of apostleship, that is what he has in mind. So with that said, we've only been on point one. <laughs> I promise we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kind of like tie this off, okay? I promise you guys hang in with me. Are we all cool? We're, we're good? Okay. All right. We're going to pick up here. Verse, we're going to review 28 and 29, and we're going to see the spiritual gifts equip us to be cultivators of gospel movement. And God has appointed in the church... First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Obviously, the answer is no. The question that comes up, and this came up in our small group this last week, is what counts as a spiritual gift? Like, what, what counts? Like, if... If God's, if God's going to, or Paul's going to list these uh, spiritual gifts, go all the way from apostleship to administration, like, I think that kind of gives us a window into what is the nature of spiritual gifts. So let me provide these two definitions for these two spiritual gifts we haven't defined yet, and then provide a definition of what a spiritual gift is. So can we throw up these uh, spiritual gift of helping and administrating? The spiritual gift of helping. Remember, uh, sorry, before I forget, um, as we've talked through these spiritual gifts, the way we've defined them is from verse 8 of chapter 12. Uh, sorry, verse 7. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the nature of a spiritual gift must be that it shows the Holy Spirit and is for the good of the local church. So these two gifts, spiritual gift of helping, the spiritual gift, the Spirit-empowered gifts of... Did I copy and paste that? I do not think that's the correct definition. Yes, it is. I'm sorry, guys. The spiritual gifts, spiritual empowered gifts of wisdom, ability, and power to give the needed assistance to support the functions of the church. The spiritual gifts of helping. That, when you read that, you're kind of like, that's a spiritual gift? Second spiritual gift. Spiritual gift of administration. The spirit-empowered ability to formulate and facilitate the strategies of the local church. You'll notice that both of these are showing the Holy Spirit and they're focused at helping the local church, aren't they? Now, you read those, and you're kind of like, those seem very mundane. Those seem, don't seem very impressive. The Holy Spirit's always got to be impressive, doesn't he? It's like, uh, no, because the Holy Spirit also produces gifts in us like love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and patience is definitely not that impressive. Um, anger is much more impressive, and that's not a spiritual gift. Um, so, with those things in mind, a spiritual gift, so let me define the definition of spiritual gift, and then we'll kind of meditate on these for a moment. Spiritual gifts are any gift, ability, skill, or ability that the Spirit uses to guide and strengthen people in knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts are any gift, skill, or ability that the Spirit uses to guide and strengthen people in knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. That is a very broad blanket definition because the Spirit is... These lists are not like the the definitive list of all that could be said about spiritual gifts. 
And yet, when the Spirit talks about us being the body of Christ, there are a number of things that are just not going to be mentioned, right? Who's the gallbladder of the body of Christ, right? Who's the bicep of the body of Christ? Neither of those got mentioned, right? Who, who's the ears of the body of Christ, right? There are a number of things that aren't mentioned in our lists that are purposefully kind of just kind of glossed over because the Spirit loves to use various kinds of gifts and various types of people for however he has gifted you to draw people to knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. So actually, for the sake of time, we're not going to go over the last list of spiritual gifts that we previously looked at, just because I I feel like we're kind of running out a little bit of some time. But the spiritual gifts are broadly being used, whether it's how God uses your words, your mind, your heart, your hands, all of them are being covered and used, empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve and love other people in ways that you might not actually be kind of aware of. So for example, um, I would say if you were to kind of like, Jacob, what's your spiritual gifts or whatever? I'd say one of my spiritual gifts is to give the spiritual gift of friendship. That's nowhere listed in the Bible. Like that, that's not listed as like a spiritual gift. But I think that um, I have a spirit-empowered ability just to walk up to people or people more often than not walk up to me and I just build friendships with them I can't even help it. Like, I can't stop myself from just building a friendship with people. Like, it happens, it, it becomes a little bit, it's like a bit of like a joke in our family now. It's like, uh, you know, doing something out in public and the boys are like, uh, yeah, daddy made another friend, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it's just like, I didn't mean to. Just like, I'll be at the gym and I'm talking to somebody and I'm like in between sets and I have like a very kind of like mean face on because I don't want people talking to me. And then still people will come up and talk to me and be like, within two or three minutes, they're kind of like, yeah, I've been cheating on my wife for the last 20 years and I really don't know what to do about it, but I'm just trying to figure it out. And I think I'm going to tell her next week. And I'm like, bro, I just got to, I got to do another set of five reps. Like, what do you, <laughs> like, it just happens, right? Like, I just, but. That's because I think the Spirit has gifted me. Either that's because of like my upbringing, right? I grew up military, always having to make new friends. That, that's a skill, right? But because that gift is regularly used and honed towards drawing people towards Jesus, that's why I say I think it's a spiritual gift. It's not just like, oh, Jacob's a friendly guy. It's because the Spirit loves to use me and for whatever reason to draw people into having healthy friendships where they feel trusted, and they're, they feel safe, and they feel like they're being pointed towards Jesus, right? There are a number of ways in which you could begin to kind of take that sort of illustration and go down, all right, maybe you're like, man, I wish I had that spiritual gift of friendship. I promise it gets a little annoying after a while, right? <laughs> I love you all, though. Um, maybe you've got spiritual gifts in other ways, right? right? I, I, there were, if I was kind of thinking about this, kind of putting on like my redemptive imagination of all the ways in which God's gifted you, you could be the spiritual gift of accounting. Please, somebody have the spiritual gift of accounting because I do not have that one, right? Spiritual gift of educating, the spiritual gift of justice, the spiritual gift of social work, the spiritual gift of mercy, the spiritual gift of leadership, the spiritual gift of nonprofit board leadership, right? Those are very different things, right? What does it mean to be on the non- nonprofit board? They often are incredibly, it, you need help with that, right? Spiritual gift of strengthening single mothers. Spiritual gift of addiction and recovery help. Spiritual gift of counseling. Spiritual gift of counseling and support for trauma victims and sexual abuse survivors. Right? You could go down the list. Spiritual gift of creative arts. Spiritual gift of writing. We can kind of keep going on. Because the purpose of a spiritual gift is to, to use you to draw people towards Jesus. Whatever that gift is. So none of you are disqualified from having a spiritual gift. In fact, you probably already have a spiritual gift and you just aren't quite like fully aware of it, right? And so that's why I'm providing, what's a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift, can we throw that back up there? Spiritual gifts are any gift, skill, or ability, back, that the Spirit uses to guide and strengthen people in knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. So what are your gifts, skills, and abilities and then how can the Holy Spirit breathe through those to strengthen people and guide people in knowing and loving and following Jesus Christ? As we think through this, and we kind of look through that list of all the spiritual gifts, I don't encourage us. This is not like an introvert or extrovert thing, right? Introverts often, you guys have got to kind of rein it in a little bit, 
listen a little bit more. You need the spiritual gift of listening. Introverts, you guys need to kind of like uh, not get hung up on the inner, the inner kind of dynamics and just kind of risk it a little bit. I think one area that I think about with this in terms of the spiritual gifts in the life of the church is I want our women to feel like they are equally of value and dignity and how God has gifted them, gifted you, for the spiritual gifts in the life of the local church. I'm not sure that the church in general has done a great job in helping women feel empowered and strengthened and guided to do these, uh, to, to live out the spiritual gifts. Um, some of it is, I, understandably, some of the issues are the, the very text itself, right? So we're going to get to verse chapter 14, where it's going to talk about women be silent in the local church. <laughs> Right, that's good. Maybe you've heard that, and that's been used to say you should women uh, in terms of Sunday morning service and in general uh, never talk and only ask questions to your husband. <laughs> Maybe that's been used just to kind of give you. We're going to get there, by the way. That's not the right interpretation of the passage. Uh, what's been going? What was going on in Corinth is that they were coming. There were people being saved out of all these pagan contexts, and women uh, were used as uh, prophetesses um, for. Very, we'll just say blanket prophet women within the local church or with local pagan worship. And what was happening in the local church is when somebody would come up to the, say, they came up to the prophecy mic and they'd share something, they would say, I, 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 I saw you lie this week on Facebook. They start creating like a chatter group basically in the middle of the worship service to evaluate the gift of prophecy. And it's kind of like, hey guys, like maybe there's another time to do that, you know? <laughs> Chill out a little bit. That's kind of what's in view with those commands within 1 Corinthians 12, 14. So just to say, to re- revisit this, Jesus loves to empower women for the, the gifts of, spiritual gifts across the board. And I will say that some of the most profound and powerful gifts of prophecy in my life have come from women. I believe that God wants to use you and empower you to be strengthened in the local church in King's Cross to exhibit skills, abilities, and gifts that the Spirit uses to guide and strengthen you, the women of King's Cross, in knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ and helping others do it. So as we, pr- as we pray through this passage, I want to pray for all of these spiritual gifts to be lived out in various different types of ways among you. I want you to be encouraged to not shortchange yourself as you think about the spiritual gifts. All these gifts are intended for every member of the local church. They are a part of what it looks like to live out a healthy life together in Jesus as we join his movement. Because you can imagine a local church, in contrast to the culture around us, having people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Holy Spirit, not self-neurotic on how am I going to be used, am I important enough, am I not, functioning together like a body, and that body's got to go someplace, right? Which is going to be building up the local church and planting more churches. So we're going to finish out this look at verse, we're going to look at this whole paragraph again and see how the spiritual gifts equip us to be an embodiment of gospel movement. Let me just read this whole paragraph and we'll close out. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul is closing out this chapter on the body of Christ with an image of the body of Christ embodying all the various types of people who are here this morning being filled and equipped, you personally, by the Spirit, for the health of this local church or wherever you're a member of the church, so that others are built up in Jesus. They are strengthened. They are touched by a new voicing of grace that nobody else could have said to them except you. A new embodiment of gospel patience and love that nobody else could have embodied for them except for you. So that 
Christ is known and the gospel is embodied, it is put on flesh in our city. Right? We're not made to be a city on a hill separate from, our, from Manchester or Derry or wherever you're at. We are equipped by the Spirit to be a unique expression of the body of Christ here in Manchester. Imagine what this will do for the power of the gospel in our city. Right? Not that we're the only ones doing it. Hope Tabernacle, lots of other churches doing this. It will show people what it looks like for men and women to be brothers and sisters in Jesus, to be sexually pure, to be using our words to bless each other, to be using our hands to serve each other in safe and comforting ways, to be using our gifts to empower each other, to envision each other, to call people forward in mission. It will be moving the church forward so that more people are reached by the power of the gospel. And it will only be a witness that reaches our, our city and in our context because it speaks our, our city's language. And when Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, what he's talking about, gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of faith, gifts of apostleship, those require more sacrifice. And when there's more sacrifice, there is more love required, which is why he then jumps right into 1 Corinthians 13, right? If more love is required, then we need to know what that love looks like. That's why we're going to be looking at that in a couple of weeks. Peter's going to be leading us through that. When we are equipped by the Spirit to join the movement of the gospel, we begin to lo- live out a certain experience of the human condition, of what it means to be human, that looks absolutely foreign to the people around us, and yet has an allure to Jesus himself. So how has is, how is the Spirit gifted you? We're going to end here with these. I have a couple questions for us. We're going to end with this, and then we'll do some Q&A time if you'd like. How would you like the Spirit to use you? How would you like the Spirit to use you in a specific way? That's maybe one question. A few ideas. Who would like the Spirit-led words to encourage others in the church? Is that, is that something that you're desiring? Spirit-led words to encourage, gift of prophecy, utterance, and wisdom. Who would like to receive Spirit-led words of encouragement, right? We always, all want to be encouraged. Who would like to be strengthened with the faith of pray, with prayer and prayers of faith for the healing, emotional, physical, mental healing of other people? Who would like healing in specific areas in their life, emotional, physical, or mental? What are the ways in which you want the Spirit to, be, to use you, and what are those specific places? Those are broad questions. But the Spirit is eager to meet us this morning. He's eager to meet your life and to empower your life so that however he's wired you and gifted you, you are joining the movement of the gospel. So let's pray, okay? Father, as we pray through these gifts and this passage and these spiritual gifts, God, I pray that you would equip us, Lord, in surprising and unique ways to join the movement of the gospel in our city, in our context, in our families, in our workspaces, Lord, that we would be uniquely gifted to reveal the goodness, love, and power of Jesus Christ himself. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Question and answer. So if anybody's got questions, um, this would be a time to kind of share those. What we'll do is If you have a question, I'll just repeat it so that we can kind of all hear it. But it needs to be related to this passage and not whether, you know, how much wine did Noah make. So, um, Old Testament, you know, nothing like that. So, any questions from this uh, kind of being pulled up for you from this passage? Yep. Yeah. So, so everybody hears that. How is tongues used as building up the body of Christ? Uh, because it says later in first, chapter 14 that tongues builds up, uh, builds up oneself. Uh, so I think that that kind of gives us an indication. We'll, we'll do a whole sermon on tongues just so you kind of you have that to look forward to if that's like your jam. But um, 
I think that that does kind of uh, speak to the purpose of the gift of tongues. There is a, if we are encouraged in miraculous or powerful ways by the Spirit, so that could include the gift of tongues, a, a powerful prayer, li- prayer life, uh, you're going to be more joyful in serving and loving and building up other people, right? So I think that that's why it's actually, I didn't mention this, I, it was in my notes. Uh, the gift of tongues is always listed last. Uh, the, list, the list does not necessarily kind of indicate what's more important or not, but because it's listed last, he's trying to like undermine uh, their obsession with the gift, but then also um, it, its impact is more, for me personally, that overflows towards other people, whereas like the gift of prophecy probably has more of like a corporate context. Does that make sense? Is that, okay. Other questions? Yeah. So, uh, I, for, to your second question, Peter, uh, maybe we can pray for you during the last two songs to um, either receive those gifts or find God's uh, direction in that area. Um, Peter's first first question uh, for the record is for these kind of more abstract gifts like the gifts of um, distinguishing spirits, like how do we practice that as a church and what does that look like? Uh, make sure everybody's kind of hearing that. Uh I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> so I just want to put the little, like, I'm not the Bible answer man uh, on everything, right? I'd like to think I'd kind of understand the Bible somewhat. But um, I do. Th- I, I guess maybe one way in which that might work out, because the, the, the spiritual gift of distinguishing spirits is being able to discern if something is in line with the gospel and the, the health of the local church, like a teaching or uh, kind of cultural development or whatever, uh, I would imagine that that is one of those things, kind of like the gift of prophecy, where it works in coordination with the elders of the church. So it's like, hey, like, I'm not really sure what to make of this cultural thing that's developing of uh, should we sing about sloppy wet kisses or whatever, you know? (laughs) And it's like um, working that through with the pastors and being like, and the pastors, I think it's incumbent upon them to lean into the questions so that they are actually honoring the way the Spirit is moving in somebody and not just being kind of like, well, we didn't think of that, so it's not really helpful. You know, like, I, I, would ex- I expect you guys to see things that I don't. And so uh, as you see those things, I want to hear in and listen to those things. But I'm not sure that I have more beyond that. It kind of begins to kind of, I think maybe with the more abstract things, uh, for chapter 14 talks about the, the spirits of prophets being submitted to prophets, so there's a certain kind of mutual submission and respect that has to come with that. That's my best uh, on the fly. <laughs> so, uh, one last question. Yes, sir. Somebody wants to know, how do you determine if someone has a gift of prophecy? 
Sure. Um, so how do you, let me just take this back so I'm following the question. How do you understand, how do you know if somebody has either an overactive imagination or if somebody actually has a spirit-led uh, gift or word for the congregation? Prophecy or vision. Um, my experience is that those who are gift, highly gifted in the gift of prophecy, uh, they will like they'll receive gifts of prophecy like through the week, so it doesn't have to be like spontaneous on the more on the on Sunday morning. And um, so, just as a caveat, like none of these are like in the moment, like oh my gosh. Uh, I think that there is a sense of um, maybe you do have an overactive imagination, <laughs> but that can be used for giving powerful, um, encouraging visions. Uh, when I say vision, I don't mean kind of like going into the third heaven. I mean like being like, imagine a scenario where you're on a boat and you're rowing or, you know, like something like that. Uh, you know, um, I think that, uh, that can be used and the way in which you kind of tell the difference is, am I wanting to use this so that other people are encouraged? Period. And don't get hung up on whether it's from you or the Holy Spirit. Like, trust that God can use it. Like, that's kind of how I would kind of think. Like, just don't, that's my encouragement on the whole, like, obsession part. It's like, I don't know, let's make a mess and clean it up rather than kind of figure out if we're going to do it right the first time. I'm not sure if that totally answers the question, but that's my best. Yeah. I keep looking at Jay because Jay's the one who voiced it. <laughs> um, okay. So what we're going to do now, and by the way, if that was your question and I didn't answer it correctly, uh, helpfully, uh, talk to me later. Um, what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, go into the time of the Lord's Supper. And uh, this is for anybody who has trusted in Christ and experienced his newness of life by the Holy Spirit because of his work on the cross for you. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.